get it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. Today's film is Jurassic World, the fastest film to ever gross $1 billion. Apparently it's been 12 days, and uh, that's that's all it took to get a billion dollars in the bank. That's insane. Yeah. They think it'll be broken, though, when Star Wars comes out, which I, I can understand. Previous record was uh, Fast and Furious 7, which took 17 days or something like that, so smash that by four whole days. All right, Jurassic World, uh, 2015. We're 22 years after the original, and we will be discussing uh, Jurassic World with spoilers in mind. So if you are one of the nine people on Earth who hasn't seen Jurassic World, (laughs) uh, be sure to see it before listening to this podcast, as we will be discussing the ending and lots of key details with the film. We have learned more in the past decade from genetics than a century of digging up bones. A whole new frontier has opened up. We have our first genetically modified hybrid. You just went and made a new dinosaur? Probably not a good idea. Almost 40 feet high. Really think she climbed out? Depends. On what? What kind of dinosaur they cooked up in that lab? Evacuate the island. She's a highly intelligent animal. She will kill anything that moves. Oh, God. Lloyd, uh, you like Chris Pratt? <laughs> uh, it's interesting seeing how a lot of people are receiving this movie. You usually get one person hating it and another absolutely loving it. I personally thought this movie was dangling on the edge of absurdity the whole time. For some, it went way over, like way over. <laughs> but for me, it just stayed on that edge the entire time. Like my ro- eyes rolled a couple of times, mainly at that stupid subplot of the kid's parents like I was cringing so bad when the mother called and was disappointed that her sister wasn't with them she was saying this was supposed to be a family day (laughs) that was terrible (laughs) and if it was a family day the parents should have been there oh yeah I guess Uh, uh, but that subplot weren't they getting divorced or something like that well that actually really stuck with me I didn't really think it was necessary the whole subplot of the divorce I was like this just feels like a waste of time (laughs) Uh, if you cut that out, the parents send them on a holiday and and maybe so they can have their alone time, you know, that would have worked too. And then just like they're in danger, so then the parents are concerned and then the parents come see them at the end. Like the, the fact that they're getting divorced didn't need to be the thing the two brothers were fighting about, I suppose. When they're sitting in the gyrospheres, the littlest brother says they're going to get divorced. When it could have been more like, you're leaving and I'm not going to see you and we're not as close as we used to be you know they could have been brought closer by the experience there's nothing they can do to affect their parents relationship especially not from the island and who was the girl's name who played the mother of the children judy greer she was also in um something else we did recently um entourage oh, okay. she was the casting agent when they're sitting and drama's doing his um audition and then they pass around his leaked video among other things. She's been in lots of things, Judy Greer. Ron Howard's uh, daughter stars in this movie. Yeah, Bryce Dallas Bryce Howard. Bryce Dallas yeah. I, I got it confused with Jessica Chastain. Oh, you're not the first one. <laughs> I thought, been... oh, cool, Chris Pat, Pratt and Jessica Chastain are together again since Zero Dark Thirty. You know, they, they've got a really successful um, thing going on. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> they've been tweeting pictures, like, joking that they're each other. You know, there, there was a... A genuine these two get mistaken for each other yeah I they're both really pretty as well like um 
uh, Bryce Dallas Howard is stunning in this. She's a very beautiful girl, and you know, um, yeah. Yeah, look, no argument. <laughs> She's no replacement for Laura Dern. I just wanted to make that clear. <laughs> well, 22 years on, you would have got a very different Laura Dern. <laughs> she still looks stunning. Have you seen Inland what? Empire 2006? Oh, man. No, she's, she's really We've pretty. talked about this. Yeah, like, yeah I, I still need to see Inland Empire. Safety Not Guaranteed was a film that we talked about on the podcast. I mentioned it in one of our upcoming films, which we occasionally do, saying films we're looking forward to. The director of Safety Not Guaranteed got this gig on the back of Safety Not Guaranteed. What a risk this was for the studios to give an inexperienced director a $155 million film. I think Spielberg had a lot of confidence in the young guy. I've listened to interviews with Trevorrow, if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, and he sounds like an extremely intelligent person. Like, just hearing him talk for a few minutes, I went, okay, I can see exactly what Spielberg saw in this guy. Like, for starters, he's a big fan of Steven Spielberg, and what I loved most about um, Jurassic World and you could feel it all throughout it was how much respect and love it had for the first movie like all throughout Jurassic World you feel Jurassic Park throughout it whether it's in the music whether it's in you know just the guy's shirt that he's wearing like as a homage they constantly reference it throughout the whole movie and it's not derivative it's not a it is derivative the whole subplot's derived from it but um it's very respectful to the original movie and I think that's what hit a chord with audiences because it's been so long since a dinosaur movie has come out that's been good you know and don't give me Jurassic Park 4 where Optimus Prime is riding some metal dinosaur that doesn't count or Sharknado (laughs) (laughs) I'm throwing terrible examples here but the point is we haven't had a good dinosaur movie since Jurassic Park because I personally don't like number two and I didn't like number three at all yeah, they're very different films. You don't have that kind of initial reaction when you're like, wow, these dinosaurs look realistic, you know. I, I want uh, to say my experience with Jurassic Park and how much it means to me. I remember my brother when when I was really when we were really young. Um, we should say we were 10 years old when this came out. <laughs> 1993, we're 10. You guys can do the maths and work out how old we are. <laughs> I remember my brother and I were so into dinosaurs, at least once a year, we would have a dinosaur phase, we would get into Dino Riders, The Land Before Time, that documentary on dinosaurs called Walking with Dinosaurs was huge for us. I remember my brother renting out several dinosaur live action movies, this is before Jurassic Park came out, and we watched them, and the best cinema could manage at the time was stop motion. And for me, stop motion has never been good. Even Terminator 1, one of my favorite movies of all time, once the Terminator comes out at the end and you see the stop motion of the cyborg coming towards Sarah and Reese, it kind of takes you out of the movie. I don't know if it's the same for you, Dave, but when I see stop yeah, motion... It, yeah, it dates, the, it dates the effects a little it bit. It does, yeah. yeah. But man, I remember going into Jurassic Park. By the way, that was the first DTS movie, digital theater sound, um, in cinemas. I remember when Sam Neill nudges Laura Dern and they both see all the Brachiosauruses in the field and other dinosaurs as well. My heart just stopped at that moment. It was so beautiful just seeing moving dinosaurs they seemed so alive and when john hammond has that speech about the flea market and how he wanted to create sonic where you could feel and see oh my gosh that was such an incredible moment i love jurassic park so much so much to add to all the amazing special effects the movie was really awesome it was scary it was bloodthirsty it was exciting Uh, i think spielberg really knocked it out of the park definitely yeah and i think um jurassic world it's no way as good as the first jurassic park but it's so much better than two and three i think when you brought it up um i think it was in our mad max podcast you said you were really worried because from the trailer it looked um pretty wild but i said the bar has been set so low i can't see it getting any worse than jurassic park (laughs) three yeah just to quickly touch on my own personal thoughts on jurassic park i thoroughly enjoyed it i was a 10 year old boy so i'm going to i remember at primary school they bought the jurassic park game and you had to like wait your turn to play it and it was essentially moving around a little board of the island and dinosaurs would follow you and you know track you and try and get you while you tried to escape for me i played out the uh jurassic park sega mega drive game as well 
which had this ending where you had to kind of uh, jump around on the um, the bones of a dinosaur and like throw flash grenades and stuff. It became like a bit of an obsession. <laughs> Several Mega Drive games were, but Jurassic Park was very important in in terms of like seeing something so realistic and scary and uh, you know as a complete cinema experience. It really stuck with me as well. Oh man, yeah, we were so spoiled, man. <laughs> Well, as well, these kind of films didn't come out so often, you know, like you were saying the other week, you know, we're spoiled for choice now. People think Jurassic World won't continue to make heaps of money because Ant-Man will come out, Terminator will come out, Minions is out. Like people go watch other things because, you know, uh, when Avatar came out, it came out in December and had months of not much competition. So it made two point whatever billion dollars. And now we have a situation where you know a superhero movie comes out and then a month later another one will come out that's so a great you've got point four weeks yeah you know so yeah for me it's that nostalgia sells this is what we're seeing make money in films people want to see the stuff from their childhood teenage mutant ninja turtles been recycled again we're going to see star wars again independence day 2 has just got a title yeah uh, this is you know yeah you brought up an interesting point on our aliens uh podcast that we talked about when aliens come to the earth and they all battle each other who would win you mentioned that podcast they're going to make a sequel to independence day and that's going to happen so what's happening with hollywood uh they've i think they've dug as much as they can out of the 80s i argue there's a lot more they can dig out of the 80s now they're digging into the 90s we're seeing yeah, yeah sequels or remakes to 90s movies and now jurassic park independence day you know godzilla in a way um you know you're going to see more and more well this is the thing like people who are now our age in our 30s um are starting to have kids and it's like the bring your kids to you know the things you loved when you were a child you know and so then they hook us in and we're we're basically planting seeds in our kids for the next generation you know like then they will enjoy these films and then they will continue to take their kids and they'll reboot things, you know. Like, we've just seen the third actor in 13 years or whatever play Spider-Man, you know. There's now a new actor playing Spider-Man. And this is the cycle. I hope we don't get another Spider-Man reboot, like an origin yeah. story. Cause yeah, I w- wouldn't like to see that too fast. Like, they'll kill the franchise. Yeah, I had enough of that. The uh, concerns I was expressing when I was talking about Jurassic Park last time on the podcast was essentially that Chris Pratt's character Owen trains the raptors to obey him. In the trailer, it looks a bit like he's completely trained them. And um, for me, I was still thinking that, you know, like a Siegfried and Roy kind of, though they're wild animals, eventually they will, you know, snap back at you. Absolutely, yeah. You can't completely train them. And I was pleasantly surprised in this film that they didn't sort of make the training of the raptors the thing that saved the day uh, and it backfired on them just like you said yeah well that was that was more realistic to me and so i enjoyed it more but i was just really skeptical about that element yeah it's like um that line uh by gary oldman in uh dawn of planet of the apes when he's trying to explain to them the apes trying to sympathize with them no you don't understand gary oldman just pauses he goes they're animals <laughs> <laughs> The whole subplot with the military on the rise, I, I, it was just so derivative from every other movie. Like, I really didn't like that aspect of it. Uh, like how the military wants to weaponize the um, the raptors. It, it was a real big stretch for me. Like, I couldn't... Like, I know that they've used lions before. They've used... Like, in the history of warfare, of course, elephants, horses, etc. Uh, attack dogs. But the raptors in my mind, I was just like, oh, man, how is that going to be possible? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm imagining a scenario in the, like in the next film, because they're going to do more, that they have to then up the ante. And if they raise these, you know military style dinosaurs imagine a scene where two countries don't like each other and one country releases dinosaurs on the other country like that's what they're going for i guess yeah but in this world of drones drones now and i just i don't know just go with it (laughs) oh boy it's i mean pretty much my thoughts on this film were i was on board you know i was nostalgic for jurassic park i was happy to try and accept as much of this as possible but there were still things that stuck out unfortunately what what would have been your favorite ride if you were at jurassic world Ooh, i thought the 
those gyrospheres were pretty dangerous really yeah. letting people <laughs> kind of do their own thing you just see kids trying to whack dinosaurs like smack <laughs> i've i personally my personal favorite ride if i could go to jurassic world would be the one where you ride the triceratops <laughs> i know that sounds pathetic but i was looking at those kids with sheer envy how they were riding those triceratops i'm like oh <laughs> One uh, online poster said they would have to wear helmets when they're um, on those little baby dinosaurs because, you know, there'd be like a legal requirement to protect the people who can Not in park. South America. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. They're doing their own thing. Uh, people have been pretty brutal with this movie, but I have to disagree with the criticism because as far as billion-dollar movies go, and I, d- I don't want to put Avatar in this because I think Avatar is a very intelligent uh, billion-dollar movie, although I didn't like it. Um, but as far as like Transformers or Alice in Wonderland or Furious 7, uh, this is a really fun movie. If you see it as paying $20 to go have some fun, it's a really great time. It really is. Um, like my audiences was were clapping at some moments. Uh, people... People were laughing at all the right cues and it's just great seeing kids rediscover dinosaurs again i went to jurassic world website and it's built as if you are going to go to jurassic world like it's you know you click on a dinosaur learn more about here and this is now showing and you click on the indominus rex it's like oh this this one's coming soon and it's all question marks like it's just fantastic it just i love it how it takes that that um realm like you know what i mean like takes the world really seriously <laughs> Yeah, I was flicking through the website before. It is well done, isn't it? Just as an advertising tool. What's your favourite dinosaur? Oh, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I like a classic T-Rex, but I, I like raptors better. Really? You like Jurassic... Uh, oh, Jurassic. You like uh, Velociraptors? Yeah, generally, I like the stuff from the first film, how, you know, Dr. Alan Grant explained that they come from either side. Whoosh, yeah, you know, they're really intelligent. That that movie really made them look cool. <laughs> exactly and i mean uh, that's probably why i was worried about their portrayal in this film my favorite has always been and i can never pronounce it ankylosaurus ankylosaurus uh, i can't pronounce it uh you see it die from the indominus rex i think during the sphere battle when, when the kids are caught in the uh, in, in the the spiked tail yeah that's my favorite thing. dinosaur i was like oh armor. yeah yeah that's why i was like oh cool he's it's in this movie and then it gets crushed i'm like no <laughs> <laughs> I rate the music of Jurassic Park, which was repeated here in Jurassic World, highly. That and E.T. and Back to the Future are some of my favourite movie scores. So it kind of walked around all day after listening, after, sorry, seeing Jurassic World just kind of repeating the tune. (laughs) And the trailer, I loved how there was this broken down version of it. If you watch the trailer for Jurassic World, you'll hear it. Um... Just the sort of slow instrumental. Oh yeah, the little piano coming in. Oh man, yeah, yeah it's like it's rising from the de- um, you know, from the cemetery or something. Like there's a little hint of the ghost of the original Jurassic Park there. It's beautiful. But the original Jurassic Park used it so beautifully. I was cr- very critical of um, Steven Spielberg and how he uses music. Like One of the worst movies I've ever seen is Temple of Doom. I know I'm going to get a lot of hate for saying that on the podcast, but the use of music in that is just hammering you over the head. Now you're happy, now you're sad, now you're happy, now it's scary, now it's a chase. But in Jurassic <laughs> Park it, it's used very beautifully and the, the one scene that always touched me is when they get out of Jurassic Park in the helicopter and then Alan's looking at the birds flying and it sort of rekindles back to what he's saying what dinosaurs are from birds or birds are from dinosaurs you yeah. know and it's that beautiful just the mo- the film takes a few moments just to observe that beauty of um, whether it's evolution or the actual creature or, or a flight itself and that journey you just had it just came at that perfect moment very well timed and very well used the sweeping shot of jurassic world when the kid says i can't wait anymore and he opens the balcony doors and the camera flies out over the the park jurassic world and they they music beams down just as you're kind of flying over the top there's that volcano structure you're sort of moving towards i was like wow you know like this build up was sort of worth it you know just sort of the music worked really well there i thought it's got so many nods to the original and it's not just the the Hammond Innovation Center you know with the statue of uh, Richard Attenborough there's you know a continuation of the same world you know uh, we even see the existing gates from the first film 
And then, you know, tons of nods to the first film, really. But they get the same Jeeps, you know, they, they find the same area that the first film had, you know, the conclusion, the painting on the wall, the, um, you know, the scenes from the first film. This is the same exact thing that Star Wars is doing. If you look at the trailer, you see Darth Vader's helmet, you know, you see, um, you hear the voices of the originals, you know, you're seeing Harrison Ford again. This is exactly the same nostalgia just like recycling and that's and one working. of the reasons why what you just said is why this movie's got a billion dollars is because it's hit that nostalgic factor yeah like um it's reminding audiences it's it's also um paying respect to it by having those elements in and it's great you know, like I, you know you see that little dna animated character on the screen Oh, and, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, Mr. DNA. Yeah, and you kind of, it flashes you back, you know, 22 years to 1993 or whenever you saw the film and you think, this is, you know, it's great that we're back, you know. Um, I think nostalgia works here and that's, like you say, that's why it's got a billion dollars. Oh, all right, well, Claire, played by Bryce Dallas Howard, she wears white apparently as a tribute to Richard Attenborough's character. Oh, really? Yeah, okay, and it didn't put two and two together. I did not either, yeah. <laughs> Her journey, has been some criticism that, uh, you know, it's a sexist movie, that she is not caring towards the dinosaurs or the animals in her park, that she just sees them as statistics, and that, you know, she's it's not just about numbers. Her journey, maybe her character, is a busy, busy driven career woman who uh, has to sort of figure out her priorities in life, would you say? I think she's a very well-educated person who was brought in to do exactly what she's doing in the movie, keep the park running, remind, you know, is constantly reminded that it's about profit, maybe. And, um, you know, she might have just been lost in that world. She doesn't... I, I think she's single. Um, well, obviously, like, she's had a brief relationship with Chris Pratt, but she's just such a career... Oh, they went on one day. Yeah. <laughs> she's just such a career-driven um, person, you know? I think it was uh, very well sketched out, I think, um, the character. Sketched out, not fully fleshed out. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed that first scene with Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard, though. They're back and forth, how she says, you know, we have an attraction, and he says, well, that's not what you said last time, you know? And there's this... The easiest way to show you a relationship between a man and a woman or whomever in this kind of movie is to have them already have an established relationship. It lets the audience say, all right, there's stuff that I haven't seen. You know, uh, it develops much more easily. If you have to write two people meeting, falling in love, you have to have all the charm and romance and win everybody over through the course of your movie. But if you have them meet and then everybody says, oh, they used to be married or something, you know, like in Ocean's Eleven. Danny Ocean's character, played by George Clooney, used to be married to Tess, who's played by uh, Julia Roberts. And so they have this whole history. They're no longer married. You know, what went wrong? Separation. They used to be in love. They're not in love now. There's still feelings. You know, you get all that from their first conversations, you know, when he interrupts her at the restaurant when she's waiting for Andy Garcia. And it's the same here with uh, Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard. I really enjoyed that sequence. Chris Pratt is doing an amazing job. I love love how the world has quickly embraced him. Like, he's got that comedic background, so his delivery is really good. And physicality, he's getting better and better. Like, he moves really well with action. In Zero Dark Thirty, we saw him bulk up and mature, but I think it was Guardians of the Galaxy is where he won the hearts of audiences. And I think with Jurassic World, he's really gone with it, you know? I think he's really knocked it out of the park. Have you heard the rumor? No. Indiana Jones. Yeah, I've, I've heard of that. Yeah, I think he'll be. <laughs> think? I, I think he'll be fine. I, I Harrison Ford has a dry wit, sense of humor. Chris Pratt doesn't. I don't think in that isn't in the same vein. I don't know if he's going to try and emulate Harrison Ford or take the character and run with it in his own style, which I think is the best way to do it. Don't try to be. Um, uh, Harrison Ford all the time you got to be Chris Pratt you know otherwise you're just trying to mirror someone that you can never match you know it's a really bad scenario if you go in that direction I 
kind of think he's hogging too many franchises if he gets indiana jones i feel like because they'll make a trilogy out of this um and indiana jones and, indiana and, jones, in the Lego movie. and guardians of the galaxy and guardians yeah because yep. you're a fool not to guardians of the galaxy was a runaway hit a huge success <laughs> jurassic world is making an insane amount of money you're a fool not to make a two and three out of that and um yeah you're right indiana jones if the rumors are going to be true uh, yeah, he's he's definitely going to have three big, massive franchises. Yeah, we'll see what happens. He seems like a really cool guy. I, I really like Chris yeah, Pratt. Sure, and and Parks and Recreation is a hilarious show if people aren't familiar with it. That's sort of where he broke through, I'd say, from being jock characters. I love that line where his introduction, where he shows you know he's dealing in a military fashion with training the Raptors, and that new guy uh, goes over the edge. Uh, trying to catch a pig which was a little bit unrealistic <laughs> but you're the new guy right you ever wonder why there was a job opening <laughs> you know, a lot of people have said this movie's too cheesy and i feel like there was maybe the right amount of cheese <laughs> although when bryce dallas howard and chris pratt have their first kiss after she saves him uh they did sort of kiss in the middle of like a pterodactyl war zone the danger wasn't really cleared and it was sort of this like he had to kiss her right now kind of moment i suppose but they were still in danger. So that debugged me. I was like, oh, it shifted too quickly from danger to, you know, romance, I suppose. It's the heat of the moment, Dave. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. Uh, they nodded to the first film with the T-Rex eating the goat. You know, it's in, in its enclosure and everybody not really seeing that. We also saw the the eye, and I knew that was coming. When they were hanging upside down in that gyrosphere. Oh, yeah. And, and they're going to turn and see the eye. I did think those gyrospheres were supposed to never be upside down. I, it's interesting in the world how none of the, the all the communication from radio to phones, the rece- reception is as good as the phone reception in Canberra. <laughs> like, it's terrible. Yeah, they, they probably could have texted each other. Well, yeah, it was just such a, um, a convenient plot point to put for the writers you know oh but they can't communicate because the reception's really bad here really in a technological world like jurassic world that you're projecting you know there's they spend billions on on infrastructure and everything like that their phone systems don't work well that was a bit hard to I swallow mean, <laughs> they are on an island maybe the island doesn't have you know cell reception yeah, i don't maybe. know <laughs> do you know what got me was the sponsorship like we did a that film uh the greatest movie ever sold which obviously highlighted uh sponsorship in movies really well but the sponsorship in this film like chris pratt's drinking a coke nobody misses that he's drinking a coke when he's fixing his motorbike <laughs> and they did so many shots of their mercedes's it felt like a car ad in some parts where it's like mercedes driving you know yeah yeah i <laughs> noticed mercedes yeah yeah it was hard not to notice <laughs> yeah and uh, they also have that blatant one where she says, you know, Verizon presents Indominus Rex, you know, where they were like sponsors are buying up airtime, basically. That kind of took me out of it a little bit. And as well, there was one shot where um, the water one, um, what was it called? The Mosasaurus, I believe. It splashes the camera at one point and the camera obviously, you know, reminded me I was watching a movie. And then in the very next shot, Bryce Dallas Howard runs past and there's a camera shadow. I'm pretty sure there's a camera shadow on her person. Oh, wow. And I didn't notice that. No, and it happened so quickly, I, I'm not 100% sure I saw it either. But I thought I saw it, and so it took me out of the movie as well. That was the only part I was like, whoa, you know. Did you notice the aspect? Uh, was it 4 by 3 or 16 by 9 It was 2 by one Oh, what? Yeah, I, was, I noticed it wasn't 16 by 9, but it wasn't quite 4 by 3. Yeah, you're really good like with the, the aspect ratios because of your projection background. Yeah, and they sort of had partly opened the curtains. Apparently it's the first film in years to shoot in like a 2 by 1, which apparently blows up quite well for IMAX. So there was some thought to it. But I was sort of thinking it would have been good in widescreen, personally. Did you see 3D? I didn't see it in 3D. How about you? No. <laughs> I'm struggling to, like, think of a film I would want to see in 3D. <laughs> Mad Max I really wanted to see in 3D, but the people I saw it with didn't want to see. They, they don't like 3D movies. Yeah, it's the glasses, man. Yeah. They need to... Um, I think they need to have, like, a screen that comes down in front of the screen. Absolutely. So you don't have to do anything. Anyway, the escape, the Indominus Rex escape, I want to talk about it, Lloyd. You know how it uh, it hides its thermal signature? Yeah. 
and um like a chameleon or something <laughs> yeah because it's a cuttlefish and a tree frog and a raptor and a t-rex during that sequence when it's disappeared and it's made scratch marks to make it seem like it's escaped they immediately go in to like check it out uh while she's driving back and asking them to check on the location of it do you recall yeah. No, that she knew that there was a pill or a sorry a circuit chip um, embedded inside the dinosaur. Yeah, so she couldn't have called, and they couldn't have not gone in. I mean, it's all essential for the escaping. But I found it really unrealistic that they couldn't check the tracking chip from where they were, and also that they all immediately went in to look at some scratch marks that they could already see. You know, and it was everyone else in there was just dead meat. So basically vincent d'onofrio the whole time was spouting exposition <laughs> yeah and he was just like <laughs> a walking dead man the whole movie <laughs> you, you knew he was gonna get dead. i didn't like the way how he died because he tries to deliver his military villain speech um and you saw two military guys um uh put away some i don't know dinosaur dna i guess or whatever the biological things that they're preserving the samples, yeah preserving sure. the uh, samples then they just disappear the raptors come in and eat him I-, I thought he'd be surrounded by guards or have at least a few men around him did those guys die as well or did they just disappeared off screen just off screen yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, I don't like that <laughs> now, how do you find um the new hammond the new guy who owns um the the, the park like uh, he, he he just seems much more reckless like he's got a lot more heart in it like he's sort of like the soul of the park trying to keep hammond's dream alive uh but uh, he he was just some parts were just so poorly written how he hops in the helicopter right away to engage the indominus rex was just like what and you know he's not that good of a pilot maybe he's just a bit of a cowboy at heart i guess yeah i think that must have been it because you know when you um i mean this is a thing i've seen in movies but when you rent a limo um the limo driver hangs out with the limo you know and you come out of the place and you go back in and and the guy's waiting there you know he doesn't leave the limo for long uh i thought it'd be the same with a helicopter pilot like he would be sort of on standby to take him anywhere you know and i don't know where he would have disappeared to and they sort of have a throwaway line where they say he's um been evacuated or he's been caught up in the evacuation but don't you feel a bit like if someone said to him we're evacuating he would say cool i've got a helicopter so i'm going to go back to that (laughs) and i'm going to evacuate with the billionaire he seems (laughs) like a really hands-on guy like he i don't want to say he um micromanages everything but he really wants to be a part of the park. He's really gung-ho. He flies the helicopter himself. But I just found his death just really stupid. Like, he just engages the dinosaur, like, right away. And then all those um, pterodactyl-like things fly out at him and then, you know, eventually kill him. I was just like, oh, that's not a good death. Yeah. I mean, they probably only had him for have many days. And, you know, you can't sort of keep all the characters around because... You have to get to that core group of four that will never die. You're never going to kill the kids. Chris Pratt's got to live. And Bryce Dallas Howard has to live. So then the four at the end are in no danger. (laughs) Despite all the danger, they're in. Uh, One of the reasons why Jurassic Park is great for me is the Michael Crichton factor. Uh, Michael Crichton is an absolute genius. He's like six foot seven, by the way. He's a freakish freak of a hard person really tall uh, in jurassic park there were the grand ideas thrown around especially the scene where they are all sitting at a table talking about the ethical issues of cloning dinosaurs uh, one of my favorite scenes from the movie and jeff goldblum especially he did a great great job in the movie but he talks about nature i was finding a, a way and there are scenes like i mentioned with hammond talking about the flea market and wanting to make jurassic park the only real scene like that in jurassic world is the discussion with dr henry Wu, who is the only cast from the original who reprises his role um in, in jurassic world he discusses the beauty of the genetic manipulation to weaponize um the dinosaurs or create the perfect species like he seems like a mad scientist in pursuit of that idea it's just such an overdone idea 
it's straight from every other horror movie where you got that mad scientist uh, i just felt there was some really lazy effort in that aspect and i think the writers simply lacked the intelligence of michael crichton it's really just a bland idea here and and with bland characters the the villain indominus rex i think could have gone further into a more frankenstein theme um you know it's its purpose is sadly lost and and it must be destroyed like the opportunity was right there the whole time they they look they took time out to show the brachiosaurus is dying um, which was a very beautiful moment. I really like that moment where they come out and they see that all the dinosaurs scratched up, and you, it, it's a reference to, it's a reference to the Triceratops scene where the Triceratops is um, dying and Laura Dern is like listening to it breathe, and and you know they have that little bit of a moment. I think it's done really well in Jurassic World. I love it how it took time out to show the beauty of a dying beast sort of thing. Um, I wanted to see some sympathy with the Indominus Rex. Like, he is a victim of the human appetite for more. Uh, Indominus Rex is kind of like a metaphor for audiences wanting bigger um, action movies in a way. You know, you're constantly seeing people on their mobile phones texting and getting uh, even a big massive dinosaur in front of them isn't getting their attention. Um, you know, I thought that was a really cool little metaphor they had going. Yeah, Spielberg's idea, I believe. Yeah, I think so. I, I think so. And I would have loved to have seen more pain from the dinosaur, sort of like um, an abused kid that doesn't know its place in the world and everyone is hunting it down. Uh, it, even if it's for a brief second, I really wish they showed a bit more sympathy with the Indominus Rex, and I think it was a really big lost opportunity there. Yeah, I liked the design of the Indominus Rex. I did I did enjoy seeing that new dinosaur element thrown in, but they can't keep bringing in a new dinosaur every time for each film. Like, uh, this needs to, I suppose, evolve. That sequence where they do see the, um, the dead Brachiosauruses and he says it didn't eat them, it killed them for sport. Bryce Dallas Howard's character becomes so hysterical, he has to keep calming her down and he says things like listen just relax you know and you do everything i say and i suppose that's the sequence that has contributed to the sexism the most because during that scene even though bryce dallas howard in the end you know gets to kick some butt and uh lead a t-rex in and try and save the day but during that sequence if this was a different time i can see him slapping her in the face and saying <laughs> you you're being hysterical woman you know it was <laughs> It was sort of borderline, there was like a grey area there, but just the amount of things he was sort of saying to her there. That's where I think the sexism came from, that sequence. There has been a lot of criticism, Lloyd, about jump-starting a 22-year-old Jeep. The uh, fuel would have evaporated is one thing. People think the tyres would have rotted away, that uh, more than the battery wouldn't have worked, you know, rubber and things wouldn't have connected and... Just having a throwaway line where it's like, remember that summer where we fixed up that car? <laughs> <laughs> Was, um, yeah, uh, <laughs> they kind of glossed over a bit there. I would have loved to have seen just a little moment where they're looking it up on their iPhone, how to restart <laughs> a 22-year-old car. Uh, my front friend brought up um, an interesting... Um, point where he loves the nod of the of aliens in this movie where you have the initial security team engage the indominus rex and you see each of them die one by one on the monitor wall like they're all going flatlining on their heart rates i thought that was a really cool um action scene it's a really great choreography there i love how one of them tries to advance on the indominus rex like he's just constantly firing his shotgun before he gets eaten i thought that was really cool i've got a problem with them displaying that though i get it but they were really confident they would they're the, the elite team they're able to take him down at what point would they be plugged up to heart monitors at all like wouldn't you just assume they're all coming back and like <laughs> it just felt like a step that wouldn't have been taken and they wouldn't have put them up on the screen in giant pictures and like it was such a visual for the movie for the audience to go oh they're flatlining that one's dead they're flatlining because in a way this movie wants to be pg you know all the deaths happen off screen you see the goat getting eaten get eaten just out of sight you hear it by reactions you see splatters of blood he tries to keep it tame you know chris pratt says shit once there's no real cursing in the film everything's sort of 
kept family from friendly almost this is a very bloodthirsty movie though like one of my favorite deaths is when the very beautiful english lady who's entrusted to look after the kids the way how she gets eaten dragged by a few fighting pterodactyls and then eventually eaten by the um uh, megasaurus or what's his name i think it's mosasaurus. mosasaurus yeah i think you're right um gets eaten by that i'm like geez louise if they're willing to kill her anyway everyone's up for grabs and a lot of people die in this movie like the second elite security team by um you know the crazy military dude they just get torn apart by the velociraptors and dragged away and i have to respect this movie i'm not a bloodthirsty person but i have to respect this movie for willing to go in that direction although you don't see blood it's handled very intelligently to get that pg rating and it because people die in it the stakes get higher you're like oh wow anyone could die you know yeah her death was unnecessarily drawn out <laughs> yeah. um i i've heard criticism on that and i do agree i thought like you barely know her as a character but it's a more gruesome death than she deserved she could have just been carried away and you could have thought oh she died or not really know to have her then kind of get eaten it's sort of setting up for the ending i suppose just reminding you that the mosasaurus is there i've also heard criticism that the mosasaurus you know at the end when it flumps out i suppose and like gets the indominus rex could have probably done that with patrons so the patrons who were in the splash zone and stuff it could have reached them now that's still alive it's just no longer being fed sharks so in any kind of a sequel that would evolve and like come onto land and uh i suppose find things to eat it must if it wants to survive i was pleased like the the riding motorbike with the the raptors thing was you know he needed a helmet but they were never going to put a helmet on chris pratt but I was pleased to find it was part Raptor and the whole, you know, changing allegiance business. Uh, the Raptors were really fickle like that, though. They flipped back and forth. The final battle sequence, what did you think? I loved I mean, it. When when the um, Velociraptors are just getting torn to pieces and they're all running around, she comes up with the brilliant idea, hold on, um, we need more teeth. I didn't like that reference, we need more teeth, um, uh, you know. But she runs with the flare, opens it up, you know the gate opens everyone knows what's going to happen they give the tyrannosaurus rex one of the greatest uh you know openings entrances in cinema the t-rex comes out she's holding the flare she runs and what begins is one of the greatest action sequences i have ever freaking seen the nerd inside me was exploding at that moment it was so fantastic um you see the t-rex of old the, the one that's been around for billions of years that have you know ever since we discovered its bones in the ground it's created this great mythology within us you know we've always celebrated the t-rex as the king of all monsters so to speak and to see it fight this genetically evolved you know monster that we've created because that's what it is this billion old t-rex that's been brought back from the grave is fighting a monster that we created there are so many layers in that scene and for the t-rex to team up with the velociraptor its arch enemy in the first one oh my gosh it was amazing when i thought the t-rex was dead when he kept biting its neck and then the velociraptor jumped on it like it comes running as a hero velociraptor oh my god that was insane i haven't seen an uh, a fight scene like this since the wanderers the wanderers is one of my favorite um fight sequences at the end when they all team up to fight the ducky boys oh man I, I get shivers just thinking about it but jurassic world was nearly there it really it was a bit absurd but people in my cinemas were clapping and we all went w with it <laughs> i agree my, my cinema never clapped but um was yours packed it was pretty packed, yeah. The fight sequence was what you wanted at that point in the film. You you wanted somebody to stand up to Indominus Rex. You've seen the path of chaos and destruction it's been causing for the whole movie. And why not have T-Rex, you know, take him on with a raptor? And it was the T-Rex from the original movie, apparently. Oh, uh, with the um, all the animatronics and everything? No, I mean the, the character. Oh, okay, yep. The same exact T-Rex from the first jurassic so it park. must be really old yeah so it's like 
even more war damaged kind of. Team. That is so awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, what's what's to hate about it? I, I I had a little bit of an issue with effects at times, but I was like forgiving of it. And it's one of those wow them in the end moments. You know, this is more stuff of the film was probably forgiven in that sort of exactly yeah i i just went well this is worth your money right here like the whole build up to it and everything i'm like well this is worth it <laughs> do you think Although, this movie forgets two and three is that it, it it's supposed to no okay it, so it the two and three still exist in this world i assume okay, so yeah, yeah. That, i think they were just tried to be more isolated like three was a rescue mission you know so they go back and the world doesn't really know it happened so much as two where they bring dinosaurs back and even then it's all at night time and i don't know people don't have camera phones <laughs> i don't know you do sort of watch bryce dallas howard run with the flare i feel like she should have started running when she saw the eyes because <laughs> she outruns a t-rex <laughs> yeah. i would have anyway. loved to have seen just for that brief moment some sympathy for the indominus rex you know because i did feel a little bit sorry for it and if you think about the Indominus Rex and what it is, it's really tragic, you know. It's this monster created for our pleasure, and instead it's turned its back. It's become this really awful monster, really, and it has to be destroyed. But I would have just, but it is alive. It is a living, breathing thing. Just some sympathy toward towards it would have been great for me. But I, I can't complain. What would I know? This movie's made a billion dollars. <laughs> well, this is it. Somebody argued that because the the uh, Indominus Rex was part T-Rex, that it could have communicated with the T-Rex. T-Rex ain't going to listen to him. <laughs> well, that's what I was thinking. Like, the raptors are pack animals. They need an alpha, you know, and Indominus Rex is able to be that alpha, fill that void. But a T-Rex is like, let's fight. Yeah, T-Rex is just like, what the heck are you? You're not supposed to be in my world. What are you doing here? Let, let's do this, son. Let's go. <laughs> And the Velociraptor jumps in, they're so cool. (laughs) (laughs) The biggest laugh in my cinema came from when uh, Jake Johnson, who plays Nick in New Girl, tried to hug... Oh, that uh, was my favourite. (laughs) Sorry, tried to kiss uh, Lauren. Oh, that was fantastic. I love how that movie took... Like, it was a very tense moment. It's building, it's building, everything's falling apart, people are being eaten, you know, what's everyone going to do? And it takes a few seconds, a few minutes to take that, to, to make that one joke where he goes in for the big kiss. This is his big moment. He's He's been watching this girl the entire time. He's been working there. They've been building a relationship. Now's my chance to plant one on her. And, oh, she's taken. You know, <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> oh, everyone in my cinema laughed at that moment. Really hit the nail on the head apparently that was improvised and the director liked it and so it stayed i in, love so. yeah that's where the magic of improvisation like um we saw a, a bad example is anchorman 2 where there's too much of it and then a good example is anchorman 1 where you have a lot of good improvisation whittled down to the best bits i want to talk about the aftermath of this movie so the he was the eighth richest man in the world they say the guy that was running the park i suppose from his financial fortune you would set up a fund for the survivors and there'd be a lot of uh you know six figure seven figure payouts for pain and suffering um enough that jurassic world would be closed indefinitely everyone had to sign waivers i reckon what so then they don't claim anything (laughs) i think so because this was preventable there were times where chris pratt's character was saying evacuate the island and they weren't doing it like they knew that it was on the loose and they didn't sort of they didn't exercise duty of care i don't know i feel like you could have a massive sort of case against them wong's character who's dr henry Wu has escaped with all the genetic samples for creating these weapons and these you know dinosaurs where would you like to see a sequel go um i think they're gonna um you're gonna see more indominus rexes i think of some sort maybe a super velociraptor well the indominus rex is a super velociraptor um but i i honestly have no idea I think it's just going to get bigger and bigger because every sequel, they're not going to go in the direction of making it a small rescue movie or anything like that. It's just going to be, you know, bigger monsters, I guess. You know, how they're going to top this one, I have no idea. What what do you think, though? I've been reading uh, other people's suggestions, so none of these are my own, but these are the two two things that were my favourite. 
So a lot of people say that they will have to go underground with their splicing and creating of dinosaurs. So, you know, it won't be a, a Jurassic World scenario or a Jurassic Park scenario where people will know about it. It'll be a secret, like, you know, black market kind of deal or whatever, where they'll be genetically splicing animals together with dinosaurs. So taking like the traits of a tiger or whatever, choosing an animal because of its, you know, ferocity or whatever, and then splicing it with, you know, putting that DNA with dinosaur DNA to create something new, like Indominus Rex, but specifically genetically creating things to suit their needs. Maybe, you know, mosquitoes and like bugs and whatever, insects, you know, ants, whatever, uh, taking DNA and trying to splice together weapons, basically. And then I like the idea that somebody suggested that like a bunch of hippies, and it doesn't have to be this, but like a bunch of hippies could try and like free them because animals have rights too, man, and that sort of thing. And then we get a 28 weeks later type thing. Yeah, or like a scenario where the animals are all loose and then there's a containment that has to happen and they're obviously loose in like New York or San Francisco or you know pick a city then you get chris pratt back you get jeff goldblum back you have to now bring back people from the original you have to bring back dr alan grant in some capacity and uh you have to tick more nostalgic boxes i suppose you have to do a better version of the lost world the second film anyway we'll see what happens um maybe um one of the crazy scientists will inject it all into himself and he'll have pterodactyl wings and tyrannosaurus rex legs and he'll be a chameleon and everyone has to take him down and stop him that stops being a dinosaur movie then so it can't be that well it stopped being a dinosaur movie with jurassic world and they started messing around with genetics life i'm kidding i i enjoyed jurassic world i can see why people got really crazy with this movie they like it's it's serious like two friends of mine went in two they both come out one absolutely hated it and the other absolutely loved it and i hear this opinion over and over again i didn't love it and i didn't hate this movie i just saw it as a fun movie to go into you pay 20 bucks you have a lot of fun great great fight sequence at the end is this as good as jurassic park one hell no but it's better than jurassic park 2 and 3 <laughs> and that's pretty good for me <laughs> yeah i'm just gonna throw some quick bullet points at you you tell me what you think in short answers if you can chris pratt would have smelled like gasoline for that whole movie <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah he, he didn't <laughs> change again i mean yeah when they smashed the jeep through that gate was that the gate from the first film that electrocuted them uh i'm not sure no i'm not sure either her high heels she wore them the whole film weren't they impractical when she was trying to run away from a (laughs) t-rex you'll be amazed with how girls how much girls can run with high heels they are well trained in that (laughs) (laughs) wouldn't it have been great if uh they'd quoted old school and chris pratt had said you're my boy blue (laughs) at some point (laughs) at what point (laughs) you're my boy (laughs) (laughs) i thought the divorce subplot was very unnecessary as i mentioned what about uh, one online person wrote, and I'm sorry, I didn't take the name, career-driven woman realizes maternal needs. <laughs> there was a lot of hate for the act like a man line. When Jake Johnson's character, who stayed back, uh, opens the T-Rex thing for her, she looks at him on the screen and she says, act like a man for once. But he stayed back, you know? He's the only one brave enough to stay back. and like That's right. And it felt like out of nowhere like he he was messy at his desk sure and he was he not a man (laughs) (laughs) what constitutes a man honey do you want me to go out there and punch a dinosaur because i'll do it (laughs) (laughs) why was the indominus rex's door that it escaped from so large the idea is these engineers have built this confined space that it shouldn't be able to escape from well i think the idea is if they ever want to move it again um, I, I don't know if maybe they could get a crane and move it out, but I thought of this before. Why, like the old King Kong thing, like they made this big massive wall to keep Kong out, yet they made a massive door for it to come in and out. Like it's just so impractical. I don't know. I'm assuming that's the case. If they ever want to move the dinosaur, they can, you know, tranquilize it, open it up, and then lug that thing out of there. Well, I mean, even then, the door would be much lower if they were tranquilizing it and bringing it low. You know, it was like. A door it could walk through comfortably. 
I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> Again, it just ties into the fact that it needs to escape. Did you think the older brothers, like, leering at all the other girls uh, could have been tied up in some kind of plot point? Oh, yeah, a payoff, give him a pretty girl at the end. Or even the um, the girlfriend who said, I love you at the beginning of the film, she could have come back with the parents and then he would have been like, I missed you, I'm so sorry, I love you, and blah, 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 you know, and like realised he had a pretty good thing. Yeah, I think it would have been a bit too cute to have that, but some payoff, I guess, but um, I, I liked it how it wasn't a necessary thing of the plot. Like, this is just a young kid who likes looking at girls. That was good enough for me. Yeah, you were happy with that? Yeah. Yeah, I'd... I suppose it didn't really help the kid like the younger brother was like worried about divorce and people splitting up and to watch his older brother you know look at other girls when he has a girlfriend at home it's maybe he's just displaying the same traits as his father yeah you know I'm just speculating or whatever but yeah I didn't know about that whole that whole sequence that their plot was maybe the weakest all right well i'm comfortable uh jurassic world we've we've talked for a good hour on it there was too much exposition from vincent d'onofrio i think um he just had too much to say let me ask you a question did you get all the same trailers as me did you get mission impossible rogue nation i didn't get that fantastic four i don't think i got that either really i I keep yeah seeing the same ones and i really i came in really late though um, into the movie. I did see, I think it was Spy or something like Man that. Man from Uncle. Yeah. Yeah, that was on mine as well. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> I just feel like I'm seeing the same ones over and over again. I almost wanted to play a game where we guess what trailers are on uh, Terminator Genesis because I think they'll be Ant Man, <laughs> Fantastic Four, <laughs> Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation, and Bond. Uh, next time on the podcast, guys, uh, we're going to do a little bit of an old school versus. Um, it's going to come out just before our terminator genesis podcast so lloyd and i will both be watching a film that we've seen once before and really enjoyed and we're going to see whether or not those films stack up whether upon second viewing years later the uh the films you know mean as much to us if they are as good as they once were uh mine is from from 1999 lloyd's is from 1997 i believe and um yeah, that should be an interesting one to um, revisit. I'm not going to spoil what the films are here, but uh, that'll be our next episode after this one. And then I believe Terminator Genesis, which you must be excited about, Lloyd. <laughs> I've got my doubts, Dave. I don't think it's going to be that good. I know James Cameron has already uh, came out saying, oh, this one's really good to look forward to. I don't know if it's the case they paid him a lot of money to say <laughs> that. Um, but, you know, I've, I've really got my doubts. But I'll, I'm curious to check it out i mean arnie vs arnie should make a few bucks do, is it the case do i have to see terminator salvation to understand this no or i'm no? pretty sure it's it's ignoring that um okay so just terminator one and two well it seems like it's going to rewrite terminator one and two okay uh, we we're going to revisit scenes and sequences from the original films and it's going to offer us a different perspective because this arnold schwarzenegger has been sent back even further which is why he's old they're going to know what stuff is happening or going to happen, I suppose. I, I still think Arnold Schwarzenegger is as good as he was um, all those years ago. Like, yes, he's not the beautiful man he was in the 80s and 90s, but um, he still has that charisma that you can't buy. You know, you can't find another Arnold Schwarzenegger, charis- a guy as charismatic as that, and he brings the screen presence and screen history as Arnold Schwarzenegger. So... It, it just matters how a director uses him, and I don't think he's been used that well. They've really abused, his, um, you know, the status he brings to the screen, they and and the history he brings. Like, uh, you know, they really abuse that sort of like um, Expendables three. Like, uh, it, it's fun, but I really want to see a director just really utilize Arnold Schwarzenegger really well, and um, that's what I'm hoping for with um with this terminator genesis that they respect arnold schwarzenegger and just not play him up you know and you know make fun of the mythology yeah well i mean nostalgia sells so based on you're right dave absolutely right based on that formula next podcast we will nostalgically see whether or not the films we enjoyed once and never saw again but you know whether they hold up in our memories and then the next one after that 
will nostalgically revisit the world of Terminator and see, you know, if they can rewrite history in a way that we'll enjoy or whether or not this will be a big dumb action movie. All right, that was Jurassic World. Thanks very much for listening. You can find more podcasts from us at www.podmeifyoucan.com. Find us on Facebook, uh, at the website, which I just gave you the address of. You'll find a link to our YouTube page. We've got obscure uh, films with famous stars in them, as well as many other things. Lloyd does unboxings. There's a romantic kiss chain uh, video that's up on our site as well. If you're on YouTube, feel free to subscribe to us. Uh, We'd appreciate it. And uh, all our back catalogue of podcasts, uh, many of which we've mentioned here in this episode, are all available at podmeifyoucan.com. Thanks for listening. Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod Me If You Can. Movie Reviews. 